Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in 2 Thessalonians. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this day once again for gathering us here into your presence so that we might hear the promises of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that we have in his name. Today, Lord, as we focus on the end of all things and the return of your Son, we pray uh, that you would teach us to carry out our lives in faith, trusting you uh, to provide all that we need to carry us into everlasting life. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you knew Jesus was coming back in one week, seven days from now, like you knew this without fail, you knew it was going to happen, what would you do? How would you live your life differently? What would you change? Maybe you would take all of your money and you would, uh, you would uh, give it to the poor. You'd, you'd just empty the bank account and give it to those who are in need. Maybe you'd take all your money, you'd empty your bank account, and you would go to the Alps. You would go someplace you've always wanted to see uh, so you could see it maybe one last time. Maybe what you would do is you would call that person you are at odds with and you would try to reconcile with them. Maybe you would call that person you are at odds with and tell them off one last time. <laughs> Maybe you would try and quit some bad habits. You'd stop drinking. You'd stop smoking. You'd, uh, you know, you'd uh, take up doing devotions every morning. Or maybe you'd pick up some bad habits. You'd start drinking. You'd start smoking. And you figure you're going to see Jesus in a week anyhow, so why start devotions now, right? I mean, what would you do? What would you do differently? How would you change things? Martin Luther was, uh, this is actually not a true story, but apocryphally, Martin Luther was once asked, if he knew Christ was coming tomorrow, what would he do? And Luther said, if I knew Christ was coming tomorrow, I would plant an apple tree today. Now again, he never said that, but it's not a bad quote to have attributed to you. I love that quote, because the idea here is simply this, if I knew Christ was coming tomorrow, I would continue to live my life. I would continue to do the things God has placed me here to do. I would continue to care for this creation that God has given me to care for, and I would do it up to the very minute Christ returned. As I was thinking about how we should live our lives this week as we await for the return of Christ, it struck me that our lives should be lived in a rather paradoxical way as we wait for Jesus to return. And I think we can kind of see this today in our reading from 2 Thessalonians. Uh, the Christian, as we wait for Christ to return, really this, this promise of his return, which is actually good news for us, uh, this promise of his return should impact us in two ways. And I think these two ways are sort of uh, a paradox. The first thing we need to keep in mind, the first way we live, is we need to recognize that the return of Christ should change everything about how we live our lives. And then the second side of the paradox is this, the return of Christ should change nothing about what we do with our lives. It should change everything, and it should change nothing. Go home and think about that. That's all I got today. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to look at each side of this paradox and see how this actually works out uh, in our lives of faith. And so to the first part of the paradox, we say this. The fact that Jesus is coming should change everything about how you live. Now, as soon as I say that, immediately here is what we do. We start making lists. We start looking for uh, behaviors that we need to adjust. We immediately go to the law and we immediately become legalists. 
What do I need to do to change my life so that Jesus will be impressed with me when he comes back? Here's a bunch of habits I need to stop doing, a bunch of sins I need to push against, and here's a bunch of disciplines I need to bring into my life so that when Jesus comes back, I look pretty good to him. He'll be impressed with me when he sees me. And we start to think about how we need to change our behavior. The trouble with that mentality, now don't get me wrong, there are certainly some behaviors we need to change. There are certainly sins we need to fight against, and there are certainly things we need to start doing to fix our hearts and our minds on Jesus Christ. Of course that's the case. But I think there is a bit of a a danger when our mind immediately goes there. I I think part of us uh, fears this day of judgment. I mean, we heard those verses this morning. There's some stuff to fear on that day of judgment. It's going to be a day of wrath for those who don't have faith. But for you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, this is a day of great hope. And I think we tend to forget this because we're not sure how we are going to fare on the day of judgment. So to cover all of our bases, we better make sure we are utterly and completely clean, morally, spiritually, however you want to think about it. The trouble with this mentality, if you think that uh, performing this way is going to prepare you for the second coming of Christ, the problem with this mentality is that it results in one of two things, either pride or despair. Pride in thinking, well, God will be awfully impressed when he sees how good I'm doing when he comes back. Or despair, which I think is a little more honest, realizing that you're never actually achieving the cleanliness and purity you know you should have for the return of Christ. And it will lead you to utter fear as you await that day. And you might be ashamed of how you've been living because you just can't seem to shake that sin. You just can't seem to get things right and you're worried that Jesus won't be pleased with you. But you see, this is the wrong perspective entirely. What we need to remember is that the return of Christ for those of us who have been baptized, again, it's good news. It's the gospel. We need to stop thinking about it so fearfully and start thinking about it joyfully. Start thinking about it for what it is, the return of our beloved Jesus to take us into his blessed presence forever. Jesus is coming back for you. And for you who have been baptized, you who have faith in Christ, as weak or as strong as that faith might be, that day will not be a day of reckoning. For those who have rejected Christ, for those who do not have Christ, it will be a day of judgment and wrath. But for you, did you hear what Jesus said in the gospel reading today? Lift up your heads for your redemption is drawing near. And in Malachi, it said, it will be for you a day of healing. I think the better image for us to have in our mind of this return of Christ is this, that when Christ returns, it's like when a, when, uh, when, when a father who has been deployed comes back. And you've seen these videos online, right? You've got a little kid sitting in school, and he's just doing his math work. He's just living his life, uh, knowing that his father should be coming home any day now, and he's waiting, but he's just living his life normally. And then his dad sneaks into the classroom. You've seen this, right? And all of a sudden, uh, they say the kid's name, and he looks up, and he turns around, and there's his dad. And he, like, shoves the chair down, and he runs over, and he's scooped up in his father's arms, and he's crying, and he's laughing. Why? Because dad is home. And when dad's home, now everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be right again because our Father has come back and the home is restored and everything is right in that child's mind. That's what the second coming of Christ is for us. It's us going throughout our lives, living in anticipation, waiting for him to come, and when suddenly he comes like a thief in the night, boom, there he is to scoop us up into his arms. 
and we weep and we laugh and rejoice because for us we know now everything is going to be okay. Everything will be right eternally. He's promised this to you in your baptism and your sins and your struggles are not going to stop him from returning for you because he's washed those things away in his blood. And your struggling faith isn't stopping him from fulfilling his promise to scoop you up into his arms and to carry you into that eternal home that he has prepared for you. So once we begin to get this, that this coming for you, this, this return of Christ is a gift for you, it's a promise of grace. It, it's a gift of grace, and it's not something we get as a reward for our works. We begin to learn that this changes entirely the way we live. Because now we live in freedom and not in fear. You are free to go throughout your everyday life knowing that what awaits for you is promised and purchased for you with the blood of Christ, and you don't need to earn it from God because you can't earn it from him anyways. It's already been given to you as a gift. You're free to live out your vocations and your life in, uh, without fear, in love, simply for the sake of your neighbor who needs you to love them. You are free from having to earn anything from God. Because all of this has been promised to you by grace. Now, as soon as I say that, I know that there's going to be somebody out here who immediately starts to think this. So what are you saying? I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Are you saying that I can just go out there and sin it up? And I'll sin my life away and then Jesus returns, but it's all cool because I'm saved by grace? Are you saying that sin is okay? And I'm so tired of that little conversation in my own head. Because let's just think about that for a second. When you ask that question, are you literally thinking that the Christ who died and shed his blood for you and rose again on the third day for you and is coming back for you by his grace to give you this eternal glorious kingdom to live in his presence forever, you hear that and you think, oh boy, now I can go sin? Now this is a good reason for me to go out and spit in his face and reject him? To go back into the slavery that he set me free from? Really? That's what you think happens when we hear the gospel? We immediately want to go out and start rejecting the gospel? That's to go back to the slavery of sin. And if that's what you want to do, if you want to go back and start sinning now, you want to go back into the slavery, well, then the scriptures are clear. And your reward will be just and utterly sad. But why go back to that? Because that's the very thing Jesus Christ has set you free from. He has set you free now not to be a slave to your sin, but to stand up against your sin, to fight against your sin, to push back against that old dark way of living and to enjoy the kingdom of light as it is coming for you. And it is coming for you. As St. Paul writes, the Lord is faithful and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. You see, this promise of Christ's return, this gracious coming for you, it changes everything about how we live our lives. And yet then, what this means that is that it changes nothing about what we do with our lives. And this is the other side of the paradox. You are now free to live in freedom without fear of God's wrath on the day of judgment. And there's nothing you have to do to earn this from God, this, this good news. You don't have to earn this at all. Therefore, you are to go about your life that God has already called you to, that God has already placed you in, and you are to carry out your vocations faithfully. You don't need to abandon anything. 
You don't need to change your life over and all become monks and sit around and just pray, 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 pray until Jesus comes back. No. He's called you to plant the apple tree, to continue to carry out your callings and responsibilities that he's given you in this creation faithfully until the minute that he comes back. This is apparently a problem that was taking place in the church of the Thessalonians in Thessalonica. As we talked about last week, there was a great deal of confusion uh, there about the return of Christ. And this confusion about the return of Christ always produces bad fruit. And so there were some people there who were, who were confused about the return of Christ. And, and they believed that uh, since Christ needed to come back soon and perhaps his coming was imminent, they should just quit working and just sit and wait. And they had become idle. They'd stopped doing their jobs. They'd quit their jobs. And they weren't doing anything so that now those who were doing their jobs and continuing to work and to make money and to care for the people around them that God had given to them, uh, they now had to care for these idle people. Uh, These idle people now became a burden to the congregation. And so Paul says, listen, they don't work, they don't eat. (laughs) Which Which is like a mantra we tell our kids all the time. You don't work, you don't eat. That's not true. We don't tell it to our kids. We feed them. Um... But you see, this is Paul's point. You don't get to stop working in the name of Jesus and let your neighbors suffer around you and become a burden to them. We are called to work and do what God has given us to do until Christ comes back and there is no room for idleness. Now, it sounds like a strange thing, but we, we actually saw an extreme example of this like uh, at the year 2000, if you remember this. Uh, right around the year 2000, a lot of people got caught up in the hype and believed uh, that Jesus was going to come back to the Mount of Olives in the year 2000. So do you remember what they did? Like they emptied their bank accounts, they quit their jobs, and they bought a little like plot of land on the Mount of Olives so that they would be sitting there waiting for Jesus and he would be really impressed with how much they'd sacrifice and how faithful they were. And so instead of working and doing the job Christ has given them to do, they moved to Jerusalem and stared at the sky. And Jesus didn't come back. They decided that they wanted to sacrifice their lives for God and not trust the sacrifice of Christ. And so that they would impress God, that they'd miss the point entirely. Because that is not what Christians are called to do in this world. You are called to care. We say this all the time around here. You are called to care for everyone that God has given you. You are called to carry out your vocations or your callings or your relationships for the sake of your neighbors, to love them at all costs, to continue to tend to the creation which God has placed you in. Now, certainly while we wait, we know as Christians we have a mission. We know that the church has a mission. That this world has is, is rejected Christ and faces a very terrifying judgment were they not to find out about the good news of Jesus. And so we pray for that mission. We pray for the church. We pray for the ministry of the word so that others will come and hear. Paul tells us specifically to the Thessalonians today, while you wait, pray for the preaching of the word that it may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, the Thessalonians, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. There's a great deal to be done in this world to proclaim the good news of Christ's salvation for the day of judgment. And there's a lot of forces pushing against that preaching. And so certainly while we wait, we pray. But that doesn't change anything. We should be doing that anyways. Whether we know Christ is coming in the next minute or whether he's coming in another 4,000 years, we should be praying for the mission of the church. 
further, faith doesn't just wait for Jesus doing nothing idle. It doesn't just sit in the room in its closet saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, as Luther uh, was once accused of doing. No. It preaches, it proclaims, and it works. It loves. It serves. Faith is a busy, living, active thing, constantly doing good and caring for everyone God gives to it. So Paul says to us today, do not quit do not grow weary of doing good until the last minute when Christ returns, serve your neighbors, work hard at your jobs, pray for the church, serve the church, care for those in need around you. Plant apple trees without fear, without fear of what will happen if Christ comes at this minute and finds me, maybe not praying, but dozing off in church. Maybe he comes back and he finds you not focusing and meditating on his word, though that would be a wonderful thing, but he finds you doing something far more mundane, like, you know, your taxes, or turning left into an intersection, or having dinner with your family, or just living your life. What we need to recognize is that no matter what it is we find ourselves doing when Christ returns, we don't need to be afraid that it's going to be the wrong thing. Because we are his beloved, baptized people. We are children of the Heavenly Father. And his return for us will be like that soldier running in uh, to the classroom while the kid was just doing his math work. And now suddenly broken to songs of rejoicing. See, the promise of the coming of Christ should not drive you away from your callings or your responsibilities which God has given you. In fact, it should make you more diligent and faithful in them. Paul says disciples of Jesus Christ do their work quietly and earn their own living. There is no place for idleness while we wait for Jesus. For he loves this creation and he has placed you here to care for it until he gets back. So this good news of his return changes nothing. And yet in your calling that he's called you to carry out changes everything. Because you carry out that vocation freely and joyfully without fear of condemnation, for there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. And know this, while you work, you are ready. Christ has made it so. His blood, his death, his resurrection has prepared you for his return. You are ready, so get to work and fear not, for Christ has done everything necessary to prepare you for the eternal joy that he has for you in his presence. Now, as Paul writes, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way, and the Lord be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the confidence you have given us in your promise. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to enjoy this freedom while we work for your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that all fear would be removed from us, and you would teach us to trust your promises. And now, O oh Lord, we pray that you would guide us through all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Having heard the word of our Lord, I invite you to please rise as we confess our faith in the words of the apostles.